Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. My name is Tony Meltenberger, and today is episode 91 of the podcast. I get to sit down with Proverbs 31 co-founder Sharon James. She's an author, speaker, and she's got a message for us today about what to do when you don't like your story. This was such a lively and fun conversation. I love the way that she dives into the idea about using your pain for God's redemption, how that works, how to lean into it. If you are have ever kind of just wondered about your past and how it impacts your future, this is a conversation you were going to want to hear. As always, the best compliment you can give us, leave us a rating or review. It does help others find us. Also, share this episode with a friend. We're inching so close to 100. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. None of this would be possible without you. I love doing this, and I love doing it with you. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sharon Janes. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to be here with uh, author, speaker, pastor to many, Sharon Janes. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the episode today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, um, I was looking at your profile, and it says that uh, you've got a brand new book coming out. As a matter of fact, as this episode releases, it'll come out today. And this is your 25th book. Is that right? That is right. That sounds like like what kind of person just sits down and does that, you know? <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> I a lot to say. Well, I, I, so one of the questions that I always love to ask people that might be a good place to start is, um, is how, how do you hear from God? on what you're going to write next. You know, it's interesting. People ask me, does the publisher tell you what they want you to write about? Or do you tell them? I mean, how does that work? And listen, Tony, I cannot write about anything that I have not lived myself. Mm. So usually while I'm writing one thing, God is already teaching me about something else. And almost every, every book, I won't say almost every book that I have written has come out of what God has taught me. So that comes through my Bible study time. That comes to my just what my personal experience of what's happening in my life at the time and listening to God and, and learning those lessons through life experience. Those two things, life experience and the word of God, when those two come together. No, I, I love that. Um, I, one of the things I love to get super in the details on, if, if you're okay to share it, is our daily disciplines. We say around here that if you're not if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm-hmm. What what disciplines do you have? Uh, I mean, obviously you're in the word regularly, but like, is there is there a morning routine? Is there something that you do that you're like, I absolutely have to do this in order to have a good day? Well, I, I do spend time with God every morning and that includes reading scripture and prayer. So those, those are a must. Um, I, I love what... Uh, um, someone once said that um, on a regular day, I don't pray for an hour. I don't want to say that, but he said that if, if he had a regular day, prayed for an hour, if it was a particularly busy day, he prayed for two hours. Oh, wow. Um, but um, no, prayer is important. Getting in God's word is important. And, and Tony, it's not just reading God's word, but studying God's word. And I, I think there's a difference. And sometimes I do it one way. Sometimes I do it another, another way. But when God just has something in scripture that jumps out at me from a certain passage, I will stop there and, and study that. It's not like I'm trying to get through the book of John or I'm trying to get through the Psalms. Um, you know, I will just 
I'll, I'll read and then I'll stop for a while. I mean, I just read something about that God really spoke to me about, about um, the, the many times the word see that God helps someone see in the book. Mm. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to go back and study though, how many times God says that in the book of John, what it says about the word see. So that's kind of how it happens. And sometimes when I do that and I get in there and study, it becomes a devotion because I write devotions for lots of different online devotions, Proverbs 31 and Girlfriends and God and Crosswalk and various ones. That's kind of how some of those devotions come about, just digging into God's word. And then what happens, Tony, almost every time I'm really studying something, God will have something happen in my life. It's like I call it a modern day parable. Yeah. Something will happen in my life to help me understand what I'm studying better. So, and that, and then that's how I write. When I write, uh, I write a principle and a parable and then mm. an app- application to that. So um, when I'm teaching, uh, and I'm sure you do this in your teaching. We're teaching principles, but then we're tra- teaching modern day parables, which help people understand it. And that's how God, that's how Jesus did it. That's how God still does it with me, reading a scripture and then showing me something in my everyday life to help me understand, um, put flesh on that. I, I love that. And I, I think that's so applicable. Um, wh- one of the words that uh, has really st- struck me as I've heard you talk about this is this word of study. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, a lot of our listeners identify as Christ followers, and yet they're trying to get closer to Christ. Um, and I think study is an important part about that. It, it's more than just information. It's, it's it's application and taking that next step. So when you say study, if, not to go down a rabbit trail too far, but w- what does that look like? Do you, is, there, is there a go-to commentary or do you just start chasing it around the scripture? Or how does that, how does that work for someone who's, who's in the word and studying and writing as much as you are? You know what? Today, we have so many great references just right at our fingertips. Bible Gateway. Mm, um, love Bible, it. Yeah. Hub, Bible Hub is an amazing one. I mean, I think one way that I like to study is to look at different, how different translations translate a certain verse. And we've got Bible Hub. You can put up a verse and it shows it in all these different translations. Then there's other online things that we have that you can click on a word. It'll show you the Greek and the Hebrew, what that actually means. Someone asked me, do you know Greek and Hebrew? I said, absolutely not. But I know people who know Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> we go back and, and, and used to be that I did have commentaries. I've got, you know, I'm looking at my shelf right now with the Strong's and the Vines and you know, the different commentaries. But we don't even need, really need those big fat books anymore because so much is just right Right on our computers when we have these amazing uh, resources to go through. So sometimes it'll be a topic that I'll dig into. And a lot of times it's just a word, a word that I'll dig into. So, and again, I'm using those commentaries. I'm looking what um, other references to that word or to that passage that relate. And um, then I'm looking at other other scriptures, like I mentioned, I'm getting ready to, to just really delve into what it means to see. So I'll read other passages that talk about seeing. Some of them won't apply and some of them will. And I'm not talking about cherry picking and just using the ones that I like, because sometimes when you're doing something, you're studying something, you know, God will show you something. And you're like, ooh, I, I, didn't think, I didn't know that. And I'm not sure I really like it. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, so those two things, just looking at commentaries, looking at um 
at what the words really mean in the, the Greek and Hebrew. Of course, we know the Greek is the original language of the New Testament, and Hebrew is the original language of the Old. And, and honestly, sometimes we lose something in translation. Sure. So, you know, going back and looking at that. I often say, as, as the great theologian, the Google says. <laughs> <laughs> Careful with that sometimes who we're, who, yeah. we're, um, who we're referencing there. But, um, the, but the, for the most part, the basic commentaries that, that we see, um, the common ones like the, the Bible Hub and um, the resources on Crosswalk and Bible Gateway, and those are, are very reputable, and I think we can trust those. How did how did you get called into um, this ministry of, of of writing and this ministry of speaking specifically uh, for women? Because I mean, like you said, Proverbs thirty one and some of the other ministries that you're a part of and have been a part of for so long. It it you know I, I'm a big believer that that kind of persistence over an extended period of time is really has a lot more to do about your calling than necessarily your willingness. Because I'm sure that there are days where you don't want to write devotions, but how did you how did you get that sense that you're called to to help women navigate some of those really difficult seasons of life? You know, Tony, we we could do a whole podcast on this. So I'm gonna I, I don't know if I can tell this in a quick way, but I'm gonna do my best. But um, my degree in college was in dental hygiene. So, yes, I was a dental hygienist that um, majored in science and math. Uh, <laughs> so, and I, I we we joke. My husband and I joke that when we cleaned out my parents' attic um, when they passed away, and we found boxes and boxes of Cliff Notes, he said, "Did you ever read a book in high school?" I said, "Not very many, not very many." But I was really good with those Cliff Notes. That probably helped me when I started doing those two-minute radio segments for Proverbs. But um, so that. I mean, I loved God's word when I became a Christian as a teenager, but the thought of writing was the furthest thing from my mind. Mm. Very insecure. I, I grew up in a very rough home environment when I was constantly told that I was not enough. Um, and, and that carried over into my Christian life that I knew I was going to heaven, but I always felt that I was never good enough as a Christian. So again, that's a whole nother podcast that we could do. But um When I was in my 30s, um, I really felt like God was starting to do something different in my life. Um, After I had my my son, my first child, um, I started having a love for reading, not just God's word, but other other books. I went back and actually got the high school reading list and read books that I was supposed to have read in high school. (laughs) And it was as if God opened up a part of my my brain that had had never really been tapped into. I started writing stories just of what God was teaching me. The stories became a file, which became a file cabinet, which became several file cabinets. And then in my 30s, as I was writing Bible studies for my church, and I had all these these stories that I had written, God started telling me, I don't, these are not just for you. These are not meant for a file cabinet. They're meant, and I've been preparing you for years to share the messages I've been giving you to other people. And, um, and that's really how it started in my thirties. Um, 
Uh, someone told me as I, 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 I stopped my job as a dental hygienist, I was a counselor at a pregnancy center uh, teaching Bible studies. I, I honestly stopped all of that and just, you know, prayed for about a year. I mean, I don't mean I prayed constantly for a year, but sure. it was a year later after I started that somebody said, maybe you should meet Lisa Turker. She's this little girl in her 20s um, in Charlotte who's starting Proverbs 31. And and I met with Lisa and um, she um, said, you know, I've been praying for a partner for a year. So God had been preparing both of our hearts for a year. And um, she said, I, I think God's telling me you're the one. So anyway, I, <clears throat> anyway, I started with Lisa at that at that time and started the radio ministry that they had for many years. And um, then God started opening doors. And, and both Lisa and I joke that when we first started writing books, we both got rejection letter after rejection letter saying, nobody knows you. You don't have a platform. Um, sorry, but then we just kept doing what God called us to do. Mm. I kept writing devotions. I, I wrote for Larry Burkett, this fellow who had a, um, a ministry on money matters. It was called <clears throat> Christian financial concepts. And we just kept doing what God called us to do, even though the doors had closed. And then one day the vice president of Moody publishing called me and said, have you ever thought about writing books? So I said, actually, I have. And so went to Chicago with four book proposals, met with Moody Publishing. They took off four of them. And that's how it began. So I just want to encourage someone who's listening that if you feel like God has a certain call in your life and you have had those doors slammed in your face, that doesn't mean that you heard him wrong. It just means that you need to keep on being persistent, what God's called you to do. And one day, one day it's going to happen. Just like David and Goliath, one day, finally, he was out in the wilderness take, taking care of those bears and those lions with those rocks. And one day the call came, hey, there's a Goliath out there and I want you to come deal with it. So I hope that encourages someone that sometimes God will call the most unqualified person to mm-hmm. do something amazing for him. I, I, I will honestly say, Tony, people say, where'd you go to seminary? Where'd you get your training? And I'm like in my den with the Lord in my books. <laughs> and I love that. And I think it's such a, uh, I think it's such a great transition to the writing that you've got coming out now when you, when you don't like your story, right? Because one of the major themes in this writing is that no pain is wasted. Um, and, and so talk to us a little bit about that idea about uh, the importance of pain in our story and, and the difference between uh, wanting to remove it and the and letting God use it. No, I think I haven't met a person yet. <clears throat> haven't met a sorry. I haven't met a person yet who does not have parts of their story they wish were not in there. I mean, one thing I say right off. I mean, the title is when you don't like your story, but it's usually not the whole of our stories we don't like. It's usually certain parts of our story that we don't like, and the certain parts we wish God had not included in the narrative certain parts that we've tried to erase that won't quite go away, certain parts that we really want to rip out. We want to rip out those pages. And I am not talking about taking those stories and and pretending they aren't there, Mm. but I'm talking about turning those stories around and using them for a godly purpose because God turns our broken stories into a beautiful prose, unwanted pages into stunning narratives of victory, but, Tony, we've got to let him do it. We've got to work with him 
on this. He's not going to do it all by himself. And most of the time when we have a story that we don't like, we have to go through certain processes to be able to embrace that story and use it for good. You know, I love the word immediately in the Bible. I love when Jesus heals immediately. Mm-hmm. But most of the time with our hurt in our life, with the pain in our life, it that that doesn't heal immediately. Usually there is a process. But with that process, there, the first thing we have to do when we have a painful story is to decide that we want to get well that we want to be better and we can't, God can't use it as long as we get stuck there. And that's one of the main reasons I, I, I wrote when you don't like your story is because I want readers. And yes, my ministry is um, mainly toward women, but there are stories of men in here too. And I really think this book is a crossover, but, but um, when we have those painful stories, we have to decide, do I want to get well? Do I want God to use it for good? And so many times people get stuck there. And honestly, they're not really sure if they want to get well. I don't think they would say that out loud. Right. You remember when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and there were the, the, the people that were sick around this pool. They were waiting for the waters to stir by an angel. And God went up to a man who had been lame for 38 years. And you know what he asked him, Tony. He asked him, do you want to get well? You know, and we read that and we think, Well, that's a strange question. Of course, he wants to get well. But that is a question that we need to answer. Do I really want to get well? Do I want to leave this place of being a victim? Do I want to leave this place of living under shame? Because we can get so used to feeling like the victim. We can get so used to think, yeah, I'm this way because my dad did this to me. I'm this way because that person hurt me. I am this way because that husband walked down on me and we can get stuck there. And we really are comfortable with that. Mm. We are a lot more comfortable with the pain in our lives than with the uncertainty of being well. So the first step we have to take is decide, do I want to take that pain off the shelf as an idol? Because we can make it an idol. Yeah. Not in the sense that we worship it, but it kind of controls our lives. Do we want to take that idol off the shelf? Quit dusting it. And, and I say this over and over. Stop picking at emotional scabs. Stop picking at emotional scabs and allow God to heal it and have a beautiful scar that God can then use because that every scar we have on our body and on our hearts tells a story. Yeah. One of my mentors said to me, he said, Tony, don't ever, don't ever preach through wounds, preach through scars. And there is a big difference. And there there has to be a a huge difference. So when, when we talk about um, answering the question, do I want to get well and, and getting comfortable with the pain, um, what's the next step? If we've decided, okay, I'm going to get uncomfortable with my pain and I'm going to take the next step. W- what does that look like in terms of trying to kind of, you know, get up and get in the pool ourselves, so to speak? Well, there, there's two things that are are huge. Forgiving the people who have hurt us mm. and then walking out from under that that cloud of shame. I call it leave the pain place and leave the shame place. Um and forgiveness is is something it's, it's what our whole Christian faith is based on. Amen. And yet we have so much trouble with it. You know, I went to a football game one time and um it was a college football game and I was on the edge of the row and right beside me was where the concrete step 
steps were, people kept step tripping over that step right beside me. And and I, I don't mean for you to think harshly of me, but after a while, it just got funny. I mean, nobody got hurt, but I just started giggling because everybody kept tripping. And at the halftime, I measured, and that step was about a fourth of an inch higher than the other steps. And I think about forgiveness, that step in our lives is a little bit higher than the other disciplines and the other steps in our lives. And it's the one that Christians tend to trip over time and time again. But if we don't forgive those people who have hurt us, then we're going to continue to trip over it. We're going to continue to get stuck there. I think one reason that people have trouble with it is because they don't really understand what what true forgiveness is. Um, And let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that what that person did doesn't matter. Hmm. It is not saying that what that person did um, wasn't hurtful, wasn't wrong. It's not saying it's okay. What it is saying is that you're going to set yourself free from it and you're not going to carry that burden around with you any longer. The word forgiveness actually means, and I'm going back to that Greek again, it actually means to cut someone loose, to let someone go free. So let's look at the opposite of that. If you're going to cut someone loose, the opposite, unforgiveness, means to strap them on. So that means the person that you hate, the person who's hurt you, and you're carrying around this bitterness, you have strapped that person on your back, and you're carrying that burden around with you. And listen, Tony, most of the time, those people don't care. Those people don't even right. know. And yet we're carrying that burden around. Um, the the word in, in the Greek is aphiomi. And in my southern drawl, I was saying that word one day, and I thought, off of me. You know, it's a fear, but it sounds a lot like off of me. And so when we forgive someone, we're saying off of me, we're taking it off of us, cutting the person loose, and we're giving that God, giving all of that to God. We're going to let him deal with it. And we are deciding that we are going to be free. Um, You've probably heard that statement that unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and then waiting for the other person to die. And we really need to get a handle on that um, because that is so true. And we will never live free until we forgive those person, people who have hurt us and we let it, let them go. I love what Corey Ten Boone said. Remember she was in the the concentration camp years to World War II. She said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. So forgiveness is the key that will unlock the jail door for ourselves. You know, I'm from North Carolina. I know those listening thought I was from the Bronx or somewhere up in North Carolina. <laughs> and um, we have Andy Griffith shows that still play here. Oh, that's great. The town drunk, his name's Otis. And when, when Otis has, he's drunk and he comes into the jail cell, Otis gets a key off the wall and locks himself up mm. in the jail cell. And then the morning he takes the key off and lets himself out. And I was watching that and I said, oh, Lord, we do that so many times. We take the key off the wall and we lock ourselves back up. And you're sitting there thinking, God, and God is sitting there saying, what are you doing? Why are you locking yourself up, back up? Jesus came to set you free. So that's number one. Forgiving those people who hurt us. Let it go and be free yourselves. Now I'm going to take a breath because I'm going to see uh, before I go into the next one. And let's talk about that. Well, I, I, you know, I guess one of the, the questions that I had is, is that I was listening to you and I was, I 
like you're preaching and I love it. I'm here for all of it. And I'm thinking to myself, why do Christians, especially when, when, when we should be the best at this, why do we struggle with this extra? I mean, like you said, it's like the quarter inch step, right? And so many Christians I know struggle with forgiveness. Is this, is it because we haven't modeled it well? We haven't discipled each other in it well? Is it because of a, uh, does it go back to shame? What's the connection with our hesitancy for like uh, in the, in the Christian faith? Are we just not teaching it well? What do you think? I think that the world sees forgiveness as a weakness. Yeah. So we have allowed that to infiltrate our lives as well. Yeah, that, that's almost like a, a cultural Christianity in in a sense, as opposed to to being more a biblical Christianity around this topic. That makes a lot of sense to me. Right. And I think, you know, people think, well, if I forgive this person that I'm just being a doormat, I'm letting them walk all over me, um, which is, I think forgiveness shows a, a sense of strength more than anything else that we could do. And um, there is no other time when we look look more like God than when we forgive. Um, I remember when the story of Jacob and Esau and when Jacob um, decided to go back to his brother Esau and Esau forgave him. He said, looking at your face is like looking at the face of God. And that's because of the forgiveness that he saw. Why do we have trouble with that? I think it's in our, I think it's just, it is our unredeemed flesh. Yeah. It, I mean, it really is. And um, it's it's uh, our humanity that's coming out that's saying, I am not going to do this. Um, and it's very un, un-Christ-like. And I, I don't know about you, but I think for me, like it's, it's almost harder to forgive the people that I'm closest to than it is for, for me to forgive a complete stranger. Like, I, almost because I don't want to look, you know, like I don't want to look bad. Like there's a weird flesh kind of, as I was thinking about like, man, who who's the person in my life that I've struggled the most to forgive? And it's it's not a stranger. It's definitely the people who are closest to me. And, and maybe that's because I don't want to, uh, I'm, you know, I felt too vulnerable or maybe it's because I, I, I don't care what they think of me as much anymore. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird paradigm, isn't it? Yeah, well, you're less invested in the people you don't know. Right. So, I mean, it's easy. I mean, it's easy to, you can walk away from that. You can't walk away from this people in your family who've hurt you. Um, uh, Tony, as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, I was raised in a very difficult home situation. My, my father um, drank a lot. He, he beat my mom. My mom fought back. And there was pornography, gambling, all kinds of things that went on in my home. And I, I saw things a little girl shouldn't see, heard mm. things a little girl shouldn't hear. And um, I became a Christian when I was a teenager through one of my friend's mom in my neighborhood. But I always had to go back into that violent environment. Um, It's such a cool story. But three years after I became a Christian, my mom gave her life to Christ through the same woman. And then three years after that, my mean old daddy, who was worse than Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole town, gave his life to Jesus and became one of the sweetest men I've ever known. I mean, it's an amazing story. But you know what? When my dad would mess up, when he'd make a mistake, all those all those angry feelings would rise back up again. They were triggers that would make me mad all over again. Um, I had gone to college for two years 
um, to get that dental hygiene degree I mentioned. And I started a job and I felt like God was calling me to go back to school, but I, I couldn't hear from him. I, I felt the I felt the pull, but I wasn't getting, I just couldn't hear from God. There was a barrier there. And I went to, there was this a group of men in my hometown who were mentors to us um, young in our 20s and teenagers. They actually um, started a coffee house called the Ancient of Days for us together. And I went to uh, Mr. Thorpe and I told him, Mr. Thorpe, you pray for me. Um, I really don't know what to do and I'm conflicted. And he went to all these scriptures about asking you shall receive kind of scriptures but wouldn't you know it, he put him in context. So that means he read the what was before it and after it. And Tony, almost every time it said something about forgiveness. Yeah. And he said, Sharon, I think that your problem is that you have never forgived your, forgiven your father for what he did to you and for what he didn't do. And I was, I was like, Mr. Thorpe, I'm not here to talk about my future. I mean, <laughs> I'm not here to talk about my past. I'm here to talk about my future. And he said, Sharon, your past is standing in the way of your future. And so that day in my twenties, uh, you know, I prayed to forgive my father and, um, and he did, and I did, I mean, the ashes, everything, the ruins were gone. And, um, I, those triggers kept, they stopped happening, um, with him. So, and then after that, I, it was like, God opened my eyes and knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I knew where I was supposed to go back to school. All, everything fell into place, but it was, and I'm not saying once you forgive someone, you're going to strike it rich and God's going to answer all your prayers. But I am going to say that when you choose not to forgive someone, your story is going to get stuck there. Yeah. And um, the sub chapter, the subtitle of the book is what if your worst chapters could become your greatest victories? That will never happen if we get stuck in unforgiveness for those to those people who have hurt us. And, and I would assume it works the same way with the shame place, right? Like if we get stuck in shame, the same barrier pops up. Same thing. Now, I think people are a little less familiar with the shame place. I would agree. Yeah. That they really think about shame so much. How they tend to verbalize it, and I'm sure you've heard this as a pastor, is maybe I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Sure. And when people say I can't forgive myself, that is the shame place. And that is living under the shadow, un- under the cloud of what I've done in my life is too, too dark, too bad. I can never come out of it. God could never use me. And if you go back and look through scripture, you don't see that anywhere. I mean, yeah. look at who God used. Oh my goodness. Every one of them were a mess. Every single one of them said one and God just took him on to heaven and decided that he didn't need to be down here anymore. But, <laughs> you know, and Rahab is such a good example of that, isn't, isn't she? I mean, you know, I, I love how in, in the story of Rahab, she was a, a prostitute. She was a harlot. She lived inside the wall, not in the city of, of um, Jericho, but in the wall of it. And she was a prostitute. And we know the story of the spies coming to her. She hid the spies. And then they said, you hang this red cord out here. And when we do come and um, take over the city, we're going to rescue you. You know, I started thinking, where did that red cord come from? Mm. That was her red cord. And then I went back and studied. And the red cord was what she hung on her door to show that she was in business. Oh, wow. So we would call that like the red light district. Yeah, yeah. So so they, God took the sign of her shame, which she hung on the door to show she was in business, business and used it to hang it out the window of her home 
and made it the sign of her salvation. So the shame that we have in our lives, God wants to move that cord from one place to the other so that people can see what God has done in, in, in their lives. Um, you know, I have so many, I have friends that um, who've had abortions in their lives and in and, and their past. And once they come out and they, they tell how God got them through, then no longer can the devil use it against them to shame them. And, you know, that Romans 28 verse that God uses all things for the good, that is the good. When we can take what we've gone through, even those shame places, those, those things we wish that we could take back that we have done in our lives, when we turn those around and tell other people how God has brought us through, then it helps them. And, and Tony, actually, that's how my dad came to Christ. Oh, wow. And because after my mom came to Christ, he said, I'm going to go to church with you guys, but I could never be a Christian because God could never forgive me for what I've done. And he went to church with us and he saw everybody all cleaned up on Sundays and he didn't see anybody like himself. But about three years after my mom came to Christ, he was um, going through a business situation in our small town. He was going to be sued. He was going to be taken to court and exposed for literally God only knew what. And he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. My mom left Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and went to Pennsylvania to a meeting. She had her own business. My dad got in the car, drove those hundreds of miles, couldn't find her, stopped by a church, said, can, is there a priest here who can pray for me? And she said, no, but I know a Baptist pastor out in the woods building his church. She drew a little map on a piece of paper. My dad got in the car, followed the map, found this man, I mean, literally building with a hammer in his hand. And my dad was a builder also. And he said, can you pray for me? And the man said, well, Alan, let's sit down on this log and, and tell me tell me what's going on. And then my dad told him this story, told him everything he'd done. Hmm. And then that man, listen, Tony, this is so good. That man put his arm around my dad and he said, now, Alan, let me tell you what I've done. And the way my dad told me, he said, everything I had done in my life, I'm about to start crying here. Everything I've done in my life, that man had done too. And I knew that if God could forgive him and he could be a pastor, then he could forgive me. Hmm. See what happened there. This man told his story. He wasn't ashamed of it. He told what God had done in his life. And, And then for my father, it wasn't Jesus wasn't just a cleaned up version of something he saw in this church that he went to where nobody talked about that kind of thing. But Jesus became real. And that man became believable. And when we're not ashamed to, to tell our story, Jesus becomes real to people. And they see him in a different way than they've ever seen him before. Yeah. Whew. Come on. That, that, that's, I that'll, love that. I let, let, that'll preach. That'll preach. And I, I love that. I love the way uh, God led your dad to that spot. What an incredible uh, testimony. And, and it, it fits really well with one of the the other major themes of the the book is is that your your connection and your story are connected. You know that idea that when we share our story, we connect with others. How how do you think for most of us we're called to um, to connect through the sharing of our story? Because it, it, I mean, if we're honest, right? Like it feels like there's already quite a lot of things out there on the internet, you know. And so, uh, how, how do you I don't know. How, how are we called to navigate some of that and, and still find that connection? 
I think if you're willing to tell it, and again, I want to emphasize what you said, Tony, I'm not sharing from a wounded place, but from a scar. Hmm. If you have gone through something and God has gotten you on the other side and you are willing to tell it, he will bring people that will need to hear your story. And then we will have a choice. Am I going to share it or am I not going to share it? Um, There will be people in your own churches, wherever you're listening from, there will be people in your church. See, my dad went to the church. He didn't see anybody sharing their stories. He didn't see anybody like him, but we must be willing and willing, but we must be willing to tell it. I mean, you're going to be in a small group. You're going to be um, sharing about your lives. And, and I know I've seen it time and time again, people in small groups telling about, about their lives and their prayer requests, and they're so cleaned up. And then one person will be honest, and then they'll, it'll go back around again, and everybody else will be honest. Oh, for sure. So look for the opportunities. You know, nobody can help a woman who's struggling in a bad marriage like somebody else who's already been there. Nobody can help a man who's struggling with alcoholism like somebody else who's already been there. So God will bring specific people to you that need to hear your story and how God has brought you through. So, you know, we don't need to be a personality on the Internet. Um, We don't need to have a big blog or a big following on Facebook. God will bring those people to you. We just need to keep our eyes open. It could be somebody in the grocery store line, you know, somebody who's struggling with kids wanting to climb out of the the cart. And then we just simply say, you know, you were doing such a good job. I had the same trouble with my kids. I mean, it could be something that small. So just look for the opportunities because God will bring them. And I want to say one more thing, Tony. Yeah, no, please go ahead. You're good. Taking a breath. Um, I think that one reason people hold back, of course, we want everyone to think well of us. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were certain parts in my story I didn't want to tell. And I remember God speaking to me. Now, when I say that, I don't mean he's talking to me out loud, but it's an impression on my heart that I know did not come from my own head. And and, and I, I had this impression from him, Sharon, would you rather people think well of me or think well of you? Ooh. Oh, that was so convicting. Lord, I want people to think well of you. And you know what happens most of the time when we do tell something, we think, oh, they're not going to like me. They're going to judge me. They're never going to look at me the same. That very rarely happens. Usually when we're vulnerable and we tell what we've gone through, people love us anymore. Even people love us even more. And they appreciate the fact that we're being honest. So don't let the devil tell you that you need to hold back because it's going to have a bad, I mean, he's going to do everything he can to keep you from telling your story. I mean, listen to this verse in Revelation. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of their testimony. Your story has so much power that it's in the same sentence with the blood of the lamb. Oh my goodness. No wonder he doesn't want you to tell it. There's power in that. Don't let him shame you into not doing it. No, I I appreciate that. I I think uh, one of the things that people often wrestle with is whether or not they're ready. They're ready to tell their story, right? And and so we, we've talked a little bit about the difference between a wound and a scar. Do you have a process that you go through to know if like you're ready to publicly share this part of your story um, or like, oh, this might still be a little too fresh or is, is there kind of a, um, a checklist or anything that you kind of like eh, X, Y, and Z have to be in place in order for me to share you know, this, this story about my dad or whatever the case may be. I, I do not have a checklist, but I, I do have a suggestion. If you feel like God is calling you to tell your story, find someone that you trust, mm. someone that you trust with your heart and tell that person first. 
and don't start big. And God usually doesn't put us in a place to start big anyway. He usually starts us out in small places, but tell someone you trust and then maybe go to a little bit larger group. And I think, you know, um, moving forward in courage builds confidence. So the more you act courageously, the more courage you will have. Start out small and then, you know, move along as God is calling you to. But as far as that part about when you are ready, you know, again, the devil will always tell you you're not ready. Yeah. And and when you say you've forgiven someone and then they do something that burns you up and you get so mad again and you and you're mad all over again, you think, gosh, I really must not have forgiven him. I must not be well yet. You know, they're gonna always be triggers. They're gonna always be triggers that from things that we think we've let go of. And then something triggers and we think, oh, I must not be ready because I'm feeling that all over again. Now, listen, when we have those triggers and we feel those feelings again, what we do is we remind the devil that we have already let that go. Yeah, I, I've already forgiven that person. That is in the past. I've given it to God. So when those triggers come up that tell you you're not ready, then you remind the devil of what you've already done. I, I think that that is probably the one, the next step in, in living a new story. And I, I know that's one of the, the other themes of the book is that like w- what you've done in the past can help you do something new in the future. Um, w- what does that look like in, in practice, it, you know, from, from deciding that, Hey, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to connect with others. H- how does that create a, a new narrative in our lives? Well, one thing I talk about is having a different ending to your story. So we've looked at a lot of steps to how how to have a different ending. When we don't forgive, when we stay in shame, then we're stuck there and the, and the story ends there. However, when we do forgive, when we come out from shame, then the story continues. What it looks like as, as God opens doors and allows us to help other people, mm. as, as I've mentioned. Um, you know, the, the story of Joseph that we all know and we all love, um, when after Joseph had gone through all that he had gone through, I mean, that I'm sure that kid was thinking, this is not how that dream was supposed to go. This is not how the story was supposed to go. You know, being sold by his brothers, thrown into prison, uh, accused of attempted rape, you know, on and on, this poor kid. And then we know what happens. He interprets the Pharaoh's dream, and um, he's made second in command of Egypt. But when... Um, at the very end of the of his story that we read about in Genesis, uh, we, we know he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he took those boys to be blessed by his dad. And um, Manasseh was the oldest one, and his name means God has caused me to forget my pain and suffering. And Ephraim rent, meant God has caused me to be fruitful. And instead of blessing that God has called me to forget, um, Jacob crossed his arms. And, and mm. Joseph's like, dad you got it all wrong you're blessing the wrong one but he blessed Ephraim over Manasseh and what he did is he blessed God has made me fruitful in my suffering over God has made me forget you know I think we many times just want to forget about it but no God doesn't want us to just forget about it he wants us to be free of it but then he wants us to be fruitful in it so being fruitful for us is using what we've gone through you know to help other people it tells us in um Second Corinthians one four, 
God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort those in any affliction with the comfort we have received from God. I might have said that a little bit twisted, but what it basically says is that God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. Those two little words, so that, are so important in that verse. He comforts us so that we can use what we've gone to to comfort someone else. And once we do that, that is a different ending to that story. That is when our worst chapters become our greatest victories, because those are what those things that we wanted to forget, those things we'd want to rip out. Those stories in our lives are the ones that God wants to highlight and he wants others to to see. And um, that's what's going to give us victory in our lives and change the ending to the story, because we're going to help someone else have victory in their own lives. I love the fruitful in our story narrative because I think that there's so much opportunity there, especially in this season of COVID and of separation for Christians to really impact some of the noise in the world. And and it's not, like you said, it's not necessarily about, it, it's not even about the, the, the grandiose nature or the, the pain of the story. It's just about being faithful in it. I think that's such an Im- important message that you're really helping us in, in this writing. So I, I know that that one of the things that happens is that we may not feel called, that we feel disqualified because of what's happened. Even, even though we know that, that God wants to redeem our story, we kind of self-select out. How do, how do we fight against that in, in the narrative of our faith and, and our story? Tony, I think it's, it's very typical for someone who has maybe had an affair for example, to feel like, well, this disqualifies me from doing anything from the Lord. Mm. Um, and there's, I, I just picked that, that out of a hat. I mean, you know, there's many things that we could feel like disqualify us. One of my, one of my really good friends, um, his, he was going into, um, he was finished seminary and was becoming a pastor. And right about that time, his father committed suicide. And he felt like that, it, that disqualified him. Like, if I can't help my own family, how am I going to pastor a church? And God had to take him through some healing steps. And actually what that has done now, this is 15 years out, that situation in his life didn't disqualify Chris. It qualified him. Oh, wow. Because now people come to him who were struggling with feelings of suicide, who were struggling with a family member who is thinking about suicide, and he's become almost an expert about that subject. So when what we've got, when we've gone through something, God's brought us to the other side. I mean, I think about when I lost a child, um, I didn't want to talk to all these other happy people with people that had a ton of kids. I wanted to talk to someone who had experienced the same thing. So someone else who had lost a child, their pain qualified them to know what they were talking about. And that's who I was drawn to. So don't don't let what you've gone through, that you've been victimized or abused, think that that disqualifies you. Don't let your own sins and mistakes think that that disqualifies you. I mean, we'd be ripping out half the pages of the Bible if that were true. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Peter, look at that one example. What did Jesus say to him? He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He said, but after you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Mm. See, I am sure that Peter felt so disqualified after he had denied he knew Jesus. But Jesus knew he was going to feel that way. 
And he said, after you have come back, strengthen your brothers. So I want to leave that, that message with everyone listening. Because I mean, if you were thinking that you've been disqualified because of some certain parts of your story that you have been responsible for yourself, don't let the enemy tell you that. See Jesus saying, standing there right with you, just as he stood with Peter, after you have come back, then go and strengthen your brothers. Tell them about how I got you through, how I picked you up, how I turned you around. Use your story to help someone else, to show them that there is hope. Uh, and I, I think that's a, that's a beautiful message for all of us. And, and not only uh, have you written that, uh, you have lived that very well. So thank you. Thank you so much for um, being so generous with your time today. I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you on the interwebs. What's the best place to find uh, more of your writing and to pick, a, pick up uh, their copy of the book? Um, it's my, my web address is SharonJanes.com, and my last name is very strange. It's J-A-Y-N, as in Nancy, E-S. <clears throat> so it's Sharon Janes, um, J-A-Y-N-E-S.com. Um, there you can find blogs, a lot of free stuff. Got lots of freebies there to download. Um, actually, there's... Um, on the on there, you can you can order the book. You can order it anywhere. You can order Amazon, CBD, anywhere you you buy books, and um, you can read a free chapter on my website. You can also watch a short video that that tells more about it. It's uh, it's a beautiful website. Your team and you have done a phenomenal job on it. Um, thank you so much. Uh, hey, one of the questions I always love to ask people as the last question is an advice question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, and I want to pull you all the way back to just finishing your degree in dental hygienistry. I don't know if I said that right, but uh, what, what's the one piece of advice that you would go back and give that younger version of yourself? I would say just keep doing the next thing. Hmm. You know, don't try to look at the big picture and what I'm going to be doing in 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Just, just do the next thing. And um, I think that's just good advice for all of us at, at any age. Um, I know we like to plan. This is January. We like to look ahead and plan what the year is going to look like. But as 2020 showed us, that is kind of silly sometimes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I would say that to that, that um, 20-year-old girl, to just do the next thing that God is calling me to do. Um, we have no idea what doors God's going to open in the future. And everything he's doing, he is getting us ready. He's preparing us. everything that's happening in our lives. He's preparing us for what he has prepared for us. So do the next thing. That's a great word. Uh, Sharon, thank you so much for your time today and for your heart and for the way that you have ministered to so many of us. Um, this was a really good word today and, and a word that I know I needed to hear. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. I told you guys, what an incredible conversation. She has so much fire and spirit. I love the way that she talked about holding on to your identity and what that means in light of Christ. Again, so thankful for you being a part of this podcast community. Um, it would really mean the world to me if you left a rating or review, especially on iTunes. It really does make a difference. And uh, as always, please share this episode. It helps people find us, helps people get in touch helps grow the things uh, that we get to do here. And uh, again, none of it would be possible if it weren't for you. So thank you for being a part of this community. And I look forward to connecting with you guys real soon.